not like I'm confusing two red-tailed hawks with each other. This is ostensibly I should be able to tell the difference between two poorly dressed, bowl-cut, bedecked humans. moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl created out of nothing like a comic book girl hey hi what's up welcome I'm this is what day is it uh is it Monday hi I'm really bad at this, you guys. We should have let Parker introduce us. No, no, I monopolize stuff. I've got the I've got the synopsis for this week, and I feel like I've been doing the synopsis a lot lately. So it's good that somebody else is doing something else. I'm very busy these days. That's fair. You're a college student, and you have a job. <gasps> What's your name? Who are you? Introduce yourself. Since you're about to monopolize, everything. I've got a, I've got a, uh, uh, I got a fun fact that is not really a fun fact, but is kind of a discussion jumping off point for something totally unrelated to our class discussion. So why don't I go last? My name is Erso Rin, and this morning I woke up with a spider in my hair. And oh! At first I panicked, but then I realized that it was just promotional material for the new Spider-Man game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. The commercial use of, like, and specifically, like, use in advertising and promotion of, like, a nanodrones these days has gotten completely overboard, like... Anyways, who's the third person that we have with us today? Yes, who's your wonderful friend? Hi, I'm Alan. Um, I'm taking this class because I am am struggling with memory lately, and also just in general, and I'm trying to refresh on... The last few hundred, 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 hundred years. Right. Yeah. So you are a a chi, which is extremely cool. I mean, we must uh, honestly awesome. <laughs> so, have you read these books before? Is that why you're trying to bump up your memory skills, or? Well, I mean, I was in America at the time. I think it's it's kind of a fog. I think I was in Vermont or Virginia. Fascinating. Possibly Venezuela. Somewhere in the Americas. Do you have any memory of these events when they were happening? Oh, no, I wasn't near this. Like, I wasn't around. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, this turned out to have been important. Animorphs books tend to do that, I feel like. You're like, this one's a silly, zany one-off, but no, then it turns out to be weirdly important. And Alan, you were with us for another class discussion in the in the previous semester, which was really cool. It was me and Cassandra, I think, and you. Uh, I don't remember which book we talked about, but it's good to have you back in our little group. Yes, I was here for the conversation about volume 26. I'm Parker, are you she, her? And okay, folks, I have a question for you. Uh, within the context of its gentrification, and with all due respect to the Manchurian folks who created it, what is the proper title for someone who makes kombucha? Kombucha. <laughs> so kombucha is what I thought originally as well. Please structure this like a galaxy brain post in your in your mind, right? So kombucha okay. is up at the top. Then you have kombuchist. <laughs> then you have kombuchador. <laughs> and then at the at the at the very very bottom in the sort of apex brain Mm-hmm. slot and this was something that brad told me actually this i didn't come up with this but at the sort of apex brain slot is bootlegger. <laughs> <laughs> kombuchista 
Ooh! I hate that I'm the small brain. <laughs> Although I don't know about, because kombuchista may not make sense because like a barista isn't somebody who makes bars. That is a good point. That's true. I don't make the, I mean, I don't know. I think we're going for like a conquistador sort of thing, actually. Yeah, no, Erso, I totally also was originally in the kombucha camp, but then I sort of like considered the possibilities. It might just be brewer. Uh, That's the least fun option, but it is probably the most empirically correct. What about someone who only makes kombucha, though? Hermit? (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Anyway, today we are talking about Animorphs Volume 30, The Reunion, narrated by Marco. I can't get over how adorable the sort of middle sequence in his transformation from Marco to Cockroach is on the cover of this. He's got the most adorable little puppy eyes. (laughs) Uh, But also his skin is like half exoskeleton. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the weird little mandible phalanges under his chin or his budding (laughs) antennae. Don't worry about the second set of arms growing underneath his arms to become the third sort of set of legs. Just look at those beautiful eyeballs. He's just, he's so cute. His hair looks so short here. Yeah, his haircut is, I think, maybe the best it's been yeah, on the covers. Or the worst, depending on how you feel. Ooh, well, hmm. It's not a bowl cut, so I think it's fine. <laughs> I, I'm biased and I know it. Uh, oh, I also love how the second to last roach, you could kind of see a tidy little shoe on like, so look directly above the <laughs> H uh, in yes. the on the title, and there's a tiny little yes. shoe on the middle leg, which didn't have one before because that's a second set of arms that he's growing out of his torso, but we needed to have that one shod. Can't let him see those mid-morph roach oh, ankles. the back leg. No, I, no, I think it's... Wait. It's definitely the... Oh, no, you're right, it is the back leg because the, the, the leg that's coming out of the back end of that sort of fourth roach down is actually the back leg of the third roach down. It's all a confusing mess of It's legs. a confusing perspective issue. But yes, no, you're totally right. Anyway, I love the tidy roach shoe. I think we can agree regardless that there are too many legs in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> like, I realize that's a central property of this whole area of study, but I, I, I have an upper limit on my comfort level with legs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're valid. Like, that's totally reasonable. In a piece of art, I think I'm into, like, a bunch of legs, but this is not art. This is, like hell (laughs) before we get into an hour-long discussion about what art is i'm gonna give the synopsis for this marco cuts class and is messing around downtown when he encounters visser one still in the body of his mother eva in disguise as a business person this wasn't originally part of my synopsis but we last saw her escaping a an underwater shark modification yerk facility via submarine we saw her not necessarily escaping not necessarily escaping so marco is surprised by the fact that she's still alive. He follows her into a skyscraper and returns to his pals the Animorphs with the location of her office and a plan to infiltrate it. Marco, Axe, and Tobias sneak into the building that night and end up battling a Hort-Bajir hit squad sent to kill Visser 1. It turns out that she's fallen victim to Visser 3's politicking and has been labeled an enemy of the Empire. On Marco's insistence, Axe leads Visser 1 to believe that they'll lead her to the colony of free Hort-Bajir in exchange for her giving them a chance to take down Visser 3. An increasingly unstable Marco acquires a mountain goat, then reconvenes the Animorphs and lays out a complex plan to pit the two Vissers against each other. 
Our savior teens initiate the plan with a staged encounter between Visser 1 and Innis 226, aka Chapman, who alerts Visser 3. The Animorphs have Visser 1 acquire climbing gear. Oh, I did use the word acquire in the sort of capitalist sense of buy things instead of the sort of like, oh. You can't morph inanimate objects. You can't morph climbing gear. Whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, the Animorphs have Visser 1 purchase climbing gear and then ride along as she drives to a nearby mountain trail where the Hork-Bajir colony is supposedly hidden. The plan encounters a major complication when Visser 3's entourage, arriving in pursuit, destroys Visser 1's rental car, presumably killing Cassie and Jake as Marco watches. Visser 1 is led up the mountain by Tobias and Rachel in Hork-Bajir morph. A grief-stricken Marco decides to fill in for Jake and meet them at the summit in Mountain Goat Morph, where they find a hologram Hork-Bajir sanctuary composed by Eric. Visser 3 arrives ahead of his entourage to encounter his former boss. Both Vissers call down space armadas, and thus erupts the biggest knockdown dragout battle so far in the journals, with Axe leading the real free Hork-Bajir into battle with Visser 3's goons, and Cassie and Jake making surprise appearances to turn the tide. They weren't dead after all. They never are. In the critical moment, Marco reveals his identity to both his mother and the yurt controlling her, then charges to send Visser 1 and himself over the precipice. He's intercepted and pinned by Jake in Tiger Morph, and Tobias finishes the job and sends Visser 1 into freefall. Back at home, Marco takes the subsequent week to recover, but is still haunted by flashbacks. Rachel gives him advice and informs him that while Visser 3 got away, his mother's body was never found. She never is either. What the heck? <laughs> All these people with their mysterious non-deaths. She's definitely had some... I wouldn't even call them near-death experiences. It's just... Death experiences. Situations of immediate and imminent peril. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Marco has a bad time. This is Marco's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad plan to strike back against the Yerks. And I feel bad for him. Is it reasonable to interpret the battle at the end as being paralleled in the Battle of Five, Five Armies at the end of The Hobbit? Whoa! Okay. Y y yes Wait. Go on, Alan. Explain. Well, let's see. What were the armies in The Hobbit? There was the dwarves, mm -hmm. the eagles, the goblins. Dwarves, eagles, goblins. I'm looking for my copy of The Hobbit right now. It's <laughs> Is it in this bookshelf? No. I think humans and storm giants. At that point in the continuity of Lord of the Rings, I don't think elves would have shown up in defense of dwarves, and I don't think that Tolkien would have put the elves on the side of the enemy of the protagonists. Ah, gotcha. So based on that, and not any actual memory of the battle, I don't think there were any elves there. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense if it was, like, storm giants. Because the thing about this sort of final battle is that it's it's on two fronts. You've got your, your ground battle with, like... Visser 3 and Visser 3's cronies and Axe and the Free Hork Bajir and the Animorphs and Visser 1, although she's she's kind of a, a coalition of one uh, in her own sort of fashion. And then you have the second layer of the battle, which is the like huge spaceship fight going on directly above mm -hmm. between Visser 1's sort of flagship I and Visser 3's. I told y'all that like, the scale gets more and more intense. It's bananas. It's absolutely wild. Things are getting real. <laughs> I hope that. Somebody noticed a huge space battle occurring above a mountain at this time in history. I'm sure they. I'm sure they just use hologram paint to make sure that it wouldn't be noticed. Oh yeah, just throw a coat of hologram paint on it. Everyone will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean Eric could just be projecting an upper limit on just like seeing the top of the mountain as normal, right? That is a powerful hologram. That would be some wild holograming yeah. going on. Uh, you're a better judge of 
chi hologram capability than I am, but like, whoa, that Listen, I can't keep my face straight. But Eric was able to accurately simulate the apparent striking of a Hork-Bajir colony with space lasers in real time. That's true. Do she have hologram artists in the way that the Andalites have morphing artists? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Nice. <gasps> Heck yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's super so cool. cool. Yeah. I'm certain that the answer to that question is yes. I can't remember anything about them. That's all right. <laughs> so yeah. if the Andalites have the Astrine, the Chi have hologram artists, what do humans have? What's the equivalent? Just regular artists? Just regular artists, I think. Dang it. We don't have anything cool. Well, is it... What do we... What do we what do we art? Oh, Erso Rid. Art isn't cool. Art, yeah, the whole thing is just worthless. No, 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 I mean... You know, I'm sure Andalites have regular art. Humans do that weird internet non-sequitur thing. We do do that non... That, that weird internet non-sequitur thing. However... Anybody could hypothetically do that. It's just like, I don't know, maybe it's a, a, a particularly human sensibility. The thing I was going to say was maybe the art of dance. Because while other species and sort of life forms can dance, only humans can dance in the way that humans dance. Like, we've got like a lot of like unique forms to it. And most, most of the other species aren't bipeds and I don't know. Although, have you ever seen a taxon dance? No. Oh my god. Oh, that sounds cool. It's very intense. Yeah, that sounds rad. Lots of skittering. Lots of skittering. Lots of, like, you could get a lot of, like, rippling motions with all of those arms. <laughs> Very first page, Marco Marco says, I'm not sure what that means exactly, salad days, but he says it a lot. I'm not a big fan of salad myself unless it's heavily croutoned. That's a valid take on salad. That's a valid salad take. <laughs> I think croutoned is just a good verb. Croutoned is a good verb. As someone who also appreciates the crunch, I uh, I I don't necessarily strictly agree with Marco because I've got a slightly more refined palate, but like I do love a good crouton. Also, they're super easy to make, which is really cool. Yeah, it's just bread, but worse. No, excuse. I'm trying to make a point about how he's valid here. Anyway, uh, valid salad opinions. This passage actually contains a lot of interesting things about Marco's food tastes. Apparently, he eats raw honeycomb for breakfast. <laughs> oh no no no! Oh, uh, Alan, that's a that's a cereal brand. That's a brand of breakfast cereal. Um, that would be pretty wild, and I guess you could hypothetically do that. But no, that is a brand of cereal. The mascots, imagine Sonic the Hedgehog, but worse. See, I really wish we had the historically annotated copies of these text texts. That would be good. And so, useful. just to. Clear another thing up. Is the Sega disc he wants for his birthday a type of cake? No. I think... Wait, is what a type of cake? Sega discs. Because cakes are like discs. Like stacked discs. And he says he wants... Uh, he was dropping hints at dinner about which Sega disc he wanted for his birthday. So... Like in between two other statements about what food he eats, I assumed it was... I don't think so, but not because I know what a Sega disc is, but mostly because I we don't really describe our food that way. It's the same sort of design principle as the vinyl, as like the as like the the vinyl LP, the sort of music. Oh, okay, disc. I get it. So Sega disc is like laser disc. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's a laser disc. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because computers were like computers were like the size of like a whole room back in this day. So you probably needed a pretty big disc to uh mm -hmm. to to fit a video game on. Right. Hey, what's going on with the wig that Marco's mom is wearing? 
It's... He said it's really bad. Marco makes it sound like it's not intended to be a wig. I think he's just... I think he's trying to insult the hair quality. He says that it's very tight and tangled. I don't know if y'all have ever seen pictures of people wearing wigs from this time, but as someone who's worn a fair number of wigs in my life, they used to be really horrible. <laughs> oh yeah, oh my god. They would just... I mean, it's amazing that people didn't immediately call them out. If they... If, like... You didn't have a professional working on them in, on, like, a movie set. They were just, like, <laughs> they would look like an extra layer of skin. Like, not gross, but, like, fabric. Ah, oh, it was bad. Well, I think that would probably suit Axe's notion of artificial skin as the things that people wear. Uh, Marco's mother's disguise slash Visser 1's disguise is apparently enough to get her into the building unaccosted, but Marco finds himself much less able to do so in his tiny child body. Well, he she has a giant suitcase. Anyone looks official if they have a big old suitcase. <sighs> look, if you just walk somewhere with confidence and you kind of look the part, you got it. If you have a bigger suitcase, are you, like, more responsible? Uh, yeah. Okay. In my experience, the size of the suitcase directly correlates to, like, responsibility. I have, like, one of those old, like, artist portfolio cases that's, like, yeah. four feet on the side. I should, like, dredge that thing up and then try to, like... People who play the tuba can get in anywhere. I do think if you walked around with that and a nice suit, people would just assume you were an architect. That's probably right? true. Oh my god, that's totally true. And architects get paid a lot of money. Hey, so... I'll be right back, folks. I'm going to go pretend to be an architect and get into some places I shouldn't be. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, I love that concept. Just wear a mask. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I am struggling to imagine what the two words, and I know that we can't say them in the class discussion, but <laughs> Rachel says two words that Marco can't repeat in response to Marco mouthing the word... I saw Rachel giving me the fish eye from across the room. I mouthed that one word, alive. Evidently, Rachel doesn't read lips. She misunderstood what I'd said and responded by mouthing two words I won't repeat. Are we supposed to understand what she thought he said? I don't think that she understands what he's saying, but maybe... No, are we meant to understand what she interpreted him to have said that was not alive? Oh. That's what I'm wondering. My best guess is that based on, like, the shape of the mouth when you say the word alive, the, the thing that it could be is I love you. <laughs> I don't know. That's just, it's got some phonemes in common, but that's as, but that's as best I got. So Rachel says, are we all thinking the same thing? I don't know. We can't say it on the class discussion, so I, I have no idea. I'm not a good telepath. I'm trying to burrow my way into your brain with <laughs> these two words. Uh, um... I don't know. I had a couple possibilities that came up to my brain. She gives him the fisheye, which is a term that I've never heard used before. Hey, shout out to the janitor a page before this, who's just like dancing as he's mopping. This guy seems really cool. I hope that he comes back. Heck yeah. I was I was anticipating at the time that I read that, that he would get like a speaking part at some point, but he does not get a speaking part in this book. He's just a cool janitor. So do we think that Marco's mother slash Visser one dead alive just based on what's happened in this book alive based upon what we know in this book she's absolutely dead because you can't survive that uh based on what we know about previous books she's totally alive because she's cheated death <laughs> once before and she'll figure out another way to do it <laughs> well twice i guess twice she's cheated death twice based on the fact that marco bothered to establish that she wasn't confirmed dead do we know at what time in the like process of the war these books were created pretty early 
like, did Marco write this before book 31 takes place? Well, that's been up for debate in our class discussion. Yeah, that is a great question. <laughs> Parker seems to think that everything is exactly as described, and Cassandra well, and I... Yes, but that I don't have an opinion on when these things were recorded. Because my feeling is these are so organized and consistent in their style and format for journals, they were most likely coordinated to some degree afterward. And if that's the case, why would they bother to include information like the fact that they didn't confirm the death of Vizier 1 if it weren't going to be relevant to subsequent installments? That is a good question. We do know that Cassie did an editorial pass after, like, presumably after all of the manuscripts were turned in. I don't really know how that happened. Cassandra seems to know more about it than I do. Additionally, different editions have different, uh, let's say, phrasings of certain things. This is true! Not to get into it too much, since I know you're yeah. sort of just joining the class, but often my printed versions have been different than the class versions. <laughs> Although this one is a first printing. In fact, I got this copy from McKinley Armentea in freshman year of high school. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, McKinley. The one the one person who goes to your high school whose name is McKinley. Yes. I feel like that that's kind of a, a human universal. <laughs> I wouldn't know. He did a laser light show with lights on his fingers to music at a talent show one year. It was very cool. Yeah, uh, Alan, remind me to send you a sort of aggregate of some information that I pulled up regarding the historiography of these journals and some stuff that we've noticed, because... There's some editorial inconsistencies we've noticed. I was talking to Cassandra a bit over break, and um, she got into some of that stuff. Okay. So Marco's in the elevator. Visser 1 is also in the elevator. So are a whole bunch of business people, including Mr. Grant, who he's just kind of, like, tagged onto. Hey, mm -hmm. actually, this isn't my point, but quick aside, if I were a sort of, like, regular kind of doughy business guy and, like, a kid from the street just kind of attached himself to me and was like, I'm, I'm your son now, I would probably be like, well, he did use the the acquiring trance in order to sort of daze him momentarily. So yeah, they were just standing there being observed by the security guard. Do you think it might be kind of like being high and just sort of being like, everything is fine? That could be. What's it like being high for an android? <laughs> oh, I just read some documentation on the brain processes involved in human intoxication and uh, run similar processes on my own. So I... I as far as I understand, it should be more or less identical to specific experimental cases of human intoxication. Wait, you could just read a book about about getting baked and then just do that? <laughs> you could just do not, that? Not a book, the, um, the research data. Okay, but you could just read... <laughs> wow, dang. That's incredible. Parker's like, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to be a hork anymore. I want to be a <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like to stay sober most of the time, but every anyway, this isn't appropriate class discussion material. Hey, Alan, I have another inappropriate class discussion question. Oh my for god! You. <laughs> if you were going to be another species aside from the one you are now, what would you choose? Aside from Pemolite, I guess, because that's the obvious answer. I have a slightly, I have a sensitive, I have a, I have a tangent question for that as well. Let him answer. I mean, the first answer that occurs to me is a non-malfunctioning chi. Valid. Is that a different species? Well, that's my question. Is our chi a species? Sure. Why not? Well, because, I mean, again, not to be prescriptive or anything, but y'all aren't 
primarily biological. Yeah, and it's a difficult question because, you know, as, as a manufactured consciousness, I am singular in a way that you aren't. Like, if I choose to be a human, do I also get to choose the gut flora that also compose about half of my biology? Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's a huge diversity of other relevant species. Are the mitochondria a separate genetic entity that I get to choose? Like, can I choose just like a constellation of associated species that operates discreetly in space? I mean, according to some of my Japanese video games, yeah, they are totally different, but that's beside the point and probably not scientific. Uh, yeah, that's a great point, though. Uh, I am an ecosystem, so is everyone else who's human. It's pretty cool. Yeah, wow, great question. Great answer. <laughs> yeah, great answer. Okay, I want to get back to the original point that I had about uh, about page eight here. Uh, okay, so so he, he acquires Mr. Grant and manages to just kind of saunter on through security, uh, which is impressive to me. But the thing that really, like, the thing that made me really go, Marco, this is not a good plan, which is what I wrote in all caps in my notes, is the bit where he's in the elevator with this or one and Mr. Grant and a bunch of other people. And he goes into the corner and he covers himself with a, uh, a page of the Wall Street Journal and he morphs into a fly. Mm -hmm. Okay, morphing makes a sound. Morphing makes a bunch of sounds. I've cataloged and given my impression of many of these sounds over the course of our class discussions. Marco, you can't just you can't just go sprut sprut in an elevator without drawing some amount of attention. My interpretation of this has always been that that's only an internal noise. Like, oftentimes I can oh. like wait. Hold on, let me see if I can do it. Did you guys hear that? The little click. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Okay. Oftentimes people can't hear that. So I can hear that because it's in my body. I have special ears. <laughs> but I have found that even when I ask people to listen for it, they can't hear it. So it's mm. one of those situations where I think body noises sometimes sound really obvious to the person <laughs> whose body it is, but not to other people. It's also... So another class I'm in right now is on the history of psychological experimentation in the early 21st century. I, I almost took that one. There's a lot of research about the behavior of humans in office spaces. And one of the things that's really, like, borne out really consistently in studies of elevators is that humans are remarkably susceptible to social pressure in elevators. Hmm. Particularly at this time in human history, even if there were truly horrifying noises coming from the back of the elevator, the the preponderance of evidence from social uh, experimentation suggests that they would all politely ignore it. Well, we see this woman recognize what she interprets as some kind of rodent that has deformities and doesn't tell anyone. She makes a noise like a arg and then runs out but she doesn't actually take it any further than that yeah a refusal to communicate unusual experiences is also a common trait of human psychology alan that explanation makes so much sense that is a that's like a perfect answer to my like being like what could possibly be happening here is that you just don't look if somebody's making weird noises in the back of the elevator because you don't do that because it's not polite or whatever like very okay so Marco is having a sort of like sleepless night of like agonizing over 
his sort of choices in his life and like the things he has to do but it seems like part of this is a fun little like nod to the fact that we're reading these in college right now like a like a direct indicator to like oh yeah i see you uh someday if we want if humanity survived we'd be in the history books me and jake and rachel and cassie and tobias and axe they'd be household names like generals from world war ii or the civil war Patton and eisenhower's ulysses grant and robert e lee i had to look up who some of these people were because they were less familiar names to me than rachel cassie tobias axe jake and marco mm-hmm I do feel like I definitely, I'm, you know, it's a shame that Cassandra's not here for this discussion because I was definitely thinking of her when I read, I had to do it, kid. It was a war. It's it's the whole point, you stupid, smug, smirking little jerk. Don't you get it? We yeah. hurt the innocent in order to stop the evil. Yeah. Like, this sounds like uh, Marco directly trying to justify himself to Cassandra. Yeah. Sure does. I am also a stupid, smug, smirking little jerk reading about these in a history class uh well, i'm older than marco was so. that's that's true he says kids would study this in school bored probably and i'm like no not really i'm not bored it's a little hard to be able to be bored by something like this i feel perhaps that's just me but in in a, in a slightly more than cursory fashion in like middle or high school so i've been attending college off and on for the past 300 years or so and one of the things that i've noticed really consistently is the difference between the way college students and grade school students interact with ideas. It seems to be the case that college students are much more receptive to caring about the thing that they're reading about. My impression is it's because the college students aren't being forced to be there. And at this point in his life, Marco would have had no experience with adults who cared about learning. No one uses fax machines, but call you This journal is the the sort of impetus for the invention of road racing. Of what? Sorry? Road racing, where people morph into oh. cockroaches and then do extreme races down tiny tracks. It's much cheaper than most other extreme sports because the tracks can be very small. I have not heard of that. That sounds amazing. I guess this was the first <laughs> instance of it. Oh my goodness. I did spend a lot of time in this section of the book uh, around chapters 8 and 9 trying to identify a coherent parallel between the experience of being a roach described by Marco and Kafka's metamorphosis. Mm, mm-hmm. Ooh, get into it. Oh, I got nothing. <laughs> Marco wasn't doing a literature there. My guess, my, my conclusion from this would be that Marco has not read Kafka's metamorphosis, and also, though probably if he did, would probably not take it very seriously. Yeah, I think if Marco had intended that parallel, he would have said so explicitly. Or he probably would not have been very affected by it either like he's undergone much worse right but he's got a lot of contempt for working life as established in the opening a uh, couple chapters when he's first wandering the city that's a good point seething massive humanity i heard that phrase once and now i knew what it meant it meant office workers at rush hour i was thinking about that as well he seems to have a special kind of contempt and portray humanity in quite the cynical way that I think we don't see maybe as much anymore, but was possibly relevant for different reasons at this time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're seeing that now because of how old he's getting or the, like the experiences that he's having, or if that's because who Marco is sort of before the events of this. Yeah, and it's, uh, and it's an interesting 
sort of skew to the way that we've been talking about Marco's relationship to capitalism and sort of the concept of like the workers as like a mass because like his like he has known like financial peril in terms of like his dad was just not working for a really long time but now his dad has a pretty like a pretty upper crust job i mean he's not getting that sweet sweet defense contract money which is like great of him good job (laughs) but like what is he gonna get like nuclear engineering or something like that or like He's doing some, like, really high-level engineering stuff, and people tend to get paid pretty well there. So, yeah, you know, like, I don't know. I think Marco's got an interesting perspective on it because he's seen sort of both sides of that. He's seen what it's like to be really needy to to pinch pennies in order to eat and stuff, and he's also, I don't know, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't made him love the business sector anymore. I'm so confused. Yeah, I'm genuinely, like, interested as to where all that's coming from. Because beats me. I don't have his life experiences. Hmm. Yeah, neither do I. Very much come from diff- different economic brackets. I wish there were more of that here now. I mean, it, it pretty quickly becomes, oh yeah, I'm a teenager in adult world, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some mischief. And I, I do think that if if the book were ha- were going to have stayed there, we would have seen it in a metamorphosis analogy. Aha! Yes, there we go. Bringing it back to Kafka. <laughs> they were just getting to that, but then Marco was like, mm, no. Actually, being a roach is kind of chill. It's definitely a significant contrast between Kafka and this text that in Animorphs, being a roach is a positive utility. The plan that Marco comes up with, seeing a sort of like a, a, a window into how his sort of pragmatic brain works and how his problem solving, getting stuff done brain works and like his like his commentary on ruthlessness, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. People don't understand the word ruthless. They think it means mean. It's not about being mean, it's about seeing the bright, clear line that leads from A to B, the line that goes from motive to means, beginning to end. It's about seeing that bright, clear line and not caring about anything but the beautiful fact that you can see the solution, not caring about anything else but the perfection of it. Other people's pity just messes with the straight line. Other people's pity makes you think things you can't think when you are seeing the line. This doesn't read to me like pragmatism. This reads to me like self-protect ego protective delusion mm-hmm. yeah, and, that, and that sense. that monster pity rears its head once again um, <laughs> it's just the thing that comes up a lot in all of the journals for all of the kids they're all just terrified of being pitied and then the line um, on 45 i understood vizier one she saw the bright clear line too problem was only one of us could be right and that's a confession right there that um being able to see the bright clear line is not a description of an actual kind of insight. It's a description of a way that you are assuming your brain is experiencing the world. Hmm. But that's Marco's whole thing. He, he, I don't think at this point he can actually accept that there's another road to getting what he needs to do because it would admit too much to himself. Well, I mean, it's, he needs control in this moment. Mm-hmm. I guess seeding that control really messes with him. Oh, I mean, it, 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 it's... It's less about control at the start. It's less about, oh, okay, here is the plan. Here's how we need to do things. Because despite what I probably said in my synopsis, I don't think he comes up with the plan to infiltrate Mr. One's office at the beginning. But he absolutely does make this this particularly complicated plan. At the beginning, it's less about control, and it's more about sort of violently assuring his own competence and violently assuring his own ability to continue despite the fact that he's experiencing emotions that should sort of sideline him. And I want to jump to 52... The plan. Was there still a plan? I tried to think, but I could no longer see the bright, clear line. All I could see was flame. Vizier 3. I had been so busy worrying about Vizier 1, I had forgotten that he was our main enemy. So that's a sign that 
being able to see the bright clear line is not even an indication that you're actually focusing on your problem. Right, 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 right. I intended to harass and distract Vizier 1 into carelessness, but I had tricked myself. Vizier 3 was going to win. He was going to kill my mother, and he would not die. He would kill her, and he would not die. I would have set up my own mother for murder by my own worst enemy. No, no, the awful voice in my head said. The line was still bright and clear. The plan still worked. If Axe and Eric had done their jobs, the plan would still work. The awful voice in my head. Yeah, good analysis. Yeah, excellent analysis. And yeah, that's how it goes down. Vizier 3 gets away. As he always does. As he always does, God! As apparently did Vizier 1. Hypothetically, we don't know. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> um, yeah, if Vizier 3 were as good at executing literally any plan and or not sort of making cartoonish blunders as he was at, like, getting away from things and surviving, he would have taken over Earth by, like, book five. Right, but leadership selects for the people who are better at surviving than at succeeding. <sighs> there you are, there you are! Absolutely. I hadn't <sighs> thought of it like that. Makes total sense. I am cheering him on near the end of the journal when he, he solicits advice from Rachel. He wants that. Yeah, he says, Rachel, I was going to do it. Then I wasn't. I was trying to kill her and save her. What do you do? She says, do? He says, what do you do when you have to make a decision and each choice is horrible? What would you do, Rachel? This is, I feel like, a big moment for him. He's allowing himself in his sort of, like... I mean, obviously, he's he's kind of broken by this turn of events, but that allows him to confide in his friend. That allows him to sort of, like, have a genuine moment with Rachel, who he spends the rest of his time sniping with. Rachel can then take a lot away from the situation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a really good moment for both of them as, like, people. Yeah, her advice one battle at a time at the end when he's sort of flailing around being like, what if my mom isn't actually really dead? What if she did survive? What if there is a next time? And she says one battle at a time, like, is very, uh, Yeah. Ugh. He's still intent on restoring something that, you know, he once had. And I can understand that because my, one of my parents left at a very young age for me. And I never got to visit him. And so I was always just sort of like, as a child, trying to figure out how to restore that, like, disrupted piece and figure out how to like get back to it so and i would like dream about it and stuff of things just sort of going back to normal but you have to grow and move on and he's having a hard time doing that because he's a child soldier <laughs> anyways anyway the back of this book have you experienced the changes online up to minute info on the animorphs contests fun downloads and games See what other fans are saying on the forum. <laughs> Have I experienced the changes online? I don't Sneak know. previews of books and TV episodes. There's a TV show? I've seen a lot of changes online. I wonder to what extent this, these events and the, 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 and the prior existence of these technologies just in the cultural ether around the late 20th and early 21st century affected the rise of furry identities. On. I am not a furry historian, but that's a great question. I think any time before the rise of furry nationalism, this movement would have been taken very, like, trivially, but it really became a very common social identity for particularly young people of the early 21st century mm -hmm. um, to identify with, with 
a a relationship to particular an- animal or semi-animal identities. And it would have been around the same time that morphing technology was present on Earth, but not widely known. Can you get stuck as a Nothlet between morphs? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because we have talked a lot about sort of the transgender experience associated with this, but somehow not the more obvious, which is like the furry experience well i think i think it's interesting i think the search for identity in people who are also searching for their identities and who are sort of i think more subject to their um capabilities than they are masters of it is a really interesting idea because that's how people often relate to gender a lot of the time with regards to furry that's something that's like entirely fantastical so or was was believed to be. Shout out to Tobias's arrogant Andalite impression, which is highly effective and also a little incisive. Like, oh, he, he does a good job. It's very funny to read it in retrospect, considering how, how close his relationship with Axe is and Axe being like, I am this close to being offended. <laughs> I've gotten that sort of reaction from Myleron before. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. Next week, we are reading Animorphs Volume 31, The Conspiracy. It has uh, Tobias morphing into Tobias on the cover. I think this is the second book where we've had Tobias morphing into Tobias on the cover. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, hold on. Hold on just a minute. The bird that Tobias is morphing on the cover of The Conspiracy, Volume 31 of the Animorphs Journals, isn't a red-tailed hawk. I'm totally wrong. It's not Tobias morphing into Tobias. Wait, what? It's Tobias morphing into, is this, is this a peregrine falcon? That doesn't look right. It's not an osprey, that's for sure. So this is Jake, (laughs) you absolute fool. Oh my god. I got a mistake, I got, okay, the bull cuts, I can't keep them straight. This is our boy. I've been taking this class for two semesters, I've learned absolutely nothing. Oh my god. yes, you are correct. Upon further review, this is a peregrine falcon. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for correcting. So good job identifying which human <laughs> and which animal we are dealing with. <laughs> oh, no. Cool. So we'll read that next time. Absolute fool. Um, absolutely. I mean, if we're being fair, humans are about as similar looking to each other as birds are. But the different kinds of bird and different... It's not like I'm confusing two red-tailed hawks with each other. This is ostensibly... I should be able to tell the difference between two poorly dressed, bowl-cut, bedecked humans. <laughs> you know what, Alan? Not Let me know if this is too, you know, inconsiderate, but... We're gonna stop I being so inconsiderate to Alan, oh my god. <laughs> I have some interspecies questions. I am a big fan of dogs. Like most humans, we are big fans of dogs. I am a big fan of dogs, though. Love dogs. And I know that you more than any human are an even bigger fan of dogs so given that you're like two steps removed from a dog i've been dying to ask you oh my god what's it like what's it like what what's it like to you know be two steps removed sort of dog descendant if you will dog adjacent dog adjacent (laughs) dog resembling dog resembling i was not involved in those design decisions yeah, but... Um, <laughs> oh, God. It's still part of your history, huh? Is this offensive? I apologize. Are you asking about whether it's a part of my severe memory loss? <laughs> no, that's fine. Don't worry about it. 
anyway, stay safe, everybody. Uh, until until we read this book that is about Jake and not Tobias. Alan, will you be here for next time? I don't remember. Um, I also don't remember. Cool. We'll find out. All right. Stay safe, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. The Morph Report is now on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we want to provide transcripts for our podcasts. However, we are not able to keep up with the transcripts ourselves for much the same reason that we care about accessibility in the first place. To help offset these costs, we have introduced two preliminary tiers on Patreon at a $2 and $5 level, and we are working on more. If you're interested in supporting us so that we can transcribe our episodes and also so that we can pay for our hosting fees on Pinecast, please look us up or follow the link in the episode description or on Twitter. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at MorphReport. If you have a question for the Podmorphs, tweet at us or send us an email, and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. love the Animorph series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.